Good afternoon. It's Monday the 3rd of July 2023, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me by video link today, we've got David Scott and Mark Anderson. Welcome to the programme, both. Uh, and we're going to get straight on, uh, David, with, uh, well, the deplatforming of now various people uh, by the banks. So, of course, on Friday, we were talking about Nigel Farage here. Uh, and uh, he uh, saying that he had been removed from his bank, which we suspect is Coots, uh, but had attempted to uh, join six or seven other banks, uh, but was refused by them all. Uh, but it appears he's not the only one. We've been talking about this in the past, but we should uh, highlight it, I think. Yes, I mean, this, this is, we've known about the problem, but this has very much brought it to the fore and brought a lot of people into the public eye explaining what they've been through. So first we've got the independent here. Now the independent, please note, is flying its, its rainbow LGBT colours, so it won't get cancelled, it'll be okay. But it did report uh, that the Brexit party, uh, real launch group, has had its bank account shut down. Um, and uh, the bank has told them that it's no longer commercially viable to run their account. Uh, Richard Tice, uh, who uh, leads Reform UK, which is the, the reformed Brexit party, uh, called this outrageous and politically motivated. Uh, he said, we're fifth in the polls. It's not like we're extremist zealots. We got 300,000 votes in the May elections. Now, this is where Richard Tice makes a serious mistake. Uh, even if they were uh, extremist zealots, the bank shouldn't be banning anybody for their political views. If the political views are so extreme as to be illegal, that should be handled by the courts, not by the banks, no platforming people. So he, he concedes a very important point that he should not be conceding. He, he continues, if we're a proper functioning democracy, um, then new disruptors need to be able to operate. If we can't operate if you don't have a bank account, then you can't pay bills. This is right. So you can have a democracy. It's just that you're not allowed to play unless you are singing from the uh, government's hymn sheet. That's what we now describe democracy as. And he's not alone. Uh, so here we have Toby Young. Um, his group has been cancelled by PayPal. Three accounts that he set up uh, with the US giant have been uh, closed down for uh, uh, breaking acceptable use policy. Um, he, he is accusing PayPal of whisking the rug from under private businesses. And he says it's, uh, he's far from the only person to be deplatformed in this way. He receives information from a lot of people who are somewhat suffering a similar fate. Now, just to, just um, to clarify... Uh, David, of course, that was September last year. We did report it at the time, and that was subsequently returned to him after quite a scandal. But of course, he's not the only one that has been deplatformed over the months by PayPal, and they haven't had their uh, PayPal accounts reinstated because they didn't have the publicity that he had. Well, this is right because it, it's it's the it's the small people, it's the individuals who are making a private stand on some on some ground that they feel is. Um, philosophically important to them, they will get, they will get uh, excluded and uh, massively inconvenienced and that won't make uh, the newspapers, it won't be heard in the, uh, in, in the public sphere. Uh, um, we've got also here Lawrence Fox, he's been speaking out on this this week. Um, he says his Reclaim Party has been refused bank accounts and to his credit, uh, he did say that look, we we sh we made a mistake here because when they did this to Tommy Robinson and they did this to uh, Katie Hopkins, we didn't speak out and we should have. And I, I I think that's a good point. These are principles. You stand for the principle. You don't surrender the principle and hope they won't come for you. Um, and 
Um, we just have this tweet here. That I'm, on, you've got yeah, something on that, yes? I do, that's right. I just want to have a tweet that he pushed out this morning. So this is from Lawrence Fox this morning saying, by lunchtime today, everything I have, bar £100, will be transferred from my Barclays current account and savings account to a trusted account at another bank. I'm not closing my Barclays account. They will have to do that for me. We're about to see whether personal belief will affect your ability to transact in the future. From my dealings with the other banks in the past three years, uh, there will be no doubt the vague mentions of risk and compliance. Welcome to the People's Republic of Great Britain. Uh, this sort of thing should worry everyone right or left because if they'll do it to anyone, they can do it to everyone. These are very good points, David. And the other th but, but one slight criticism, uh, this uh, comment about the People's Republic of Great Britain, uh, th this is something that I've he heard such a lot from the, from the, the uh, people that consider themselves progressive. Uh, that you know we've got to criticize authoritarian regimes, Russia and China and so on, while not recognizing that if you've got an authoritarian regime building, the first thing it does is it shuts down free speech and it does it by whatever mechanism it can, whether it's through online safety bills or through uh, seeing commercial organizations like banks persecuting people that don't follow the, the uh, perceived or the accredited narrative. Yes, I, I think the point he's making is this is uh, this is very Chinese Communist Party in its in its approach and it's coming here. Um, I, I I think the point we have to remember is coming here because it's our government is doing to doing it to us, not because the Chinese government are doing it to us or forcing it or coercing it. It's our own politicians, our our own civil servants, our own banks, our own institutions, all of whom are supported on the the hard work of the British people. They are the instruments of oppression and we should let them know how we feel about it. Uh, taking money out of the bank account is a beautiful way of doing this. Um, we have one more example here, Yorkshire Building Society. Uh, closed a vicar's account after he um, gave them some feedback. He's been with the Building Society for 17 years and he wrote to them uh, after he was invited, invited to give general feedback. Um, he insists his message was a polite rebuttal of transgender ideology. And Yorkshire Building Society wrote to him um, and it said it had a zero tolerance approach to discrimination and their relationship had irrevocably broken down. Uh, the, the vicar at Fonagal, age 62, told the Times he wasn't even aware that the relationship had a problem. Um, and he said, I wrote a couple of paragraphs uh, about how he did not agree with trans ideology or the idea you can have uh, alternative gen genders being pushed on children. I was polite all the way through. I was pointing out that they are a financial house, and surely they should be worrying about financial issues. Um, he uh, then received on 22nd of June a letter from uh, Yorkshire Bond Society about his views regarding LGBTQIA+. Uh, it said the comments he made were not tolerable, and the Building Society had a zeal of... Uh, tolerance for discrimination. Spokesmen from the Building Society say, we never close savings accounts based on different opinions regarding beliefs or feedback provided by our customers. We only ever make difficult decisions to close the savings accounts if a customer is rude, abusive, violent, or discriminates in any way. That is something that they interpret uh, based on specific facts, comments, and behaviors in each case. That seems to be a pretty weak defense of the Yorkshire Building Society's position. It will be very interesting to see what happens in that case uh, going forward. Uh, yes, indeed. Now, uh, here is uh, our illustrious Chancellor, uh, who, according to the Telegraph yesterday at least, 
uh, is, has instructed the Treasury to tell banks to uphold free speech. Uh, well, the headline says, after blacklisting customers holding certain views. Uh, now, there's been no official announcement on this that I've seen, uh, either from the Treasury or from uh, Jeremy Hunt himself. Uh, so we will keep an eye on that and uh, report in due course. Uh, and that brings us uh, on to Mark, uh, who actually has, uh, is not with us at the moment. So uh, I think we've got a slight technical problem there. So we're going to have to uh, uh, jump over that, uh, unfortunately. Um, let's, uh, let me just uh, do a quick uh, edit here. Um, and uh, uh, Mark has uh, managed to rejoin us. Excellent timing, Mark. So uh, let's come on to uh, the Federal Reserve Bank here. And first of all, we've got a headline uh, which says, JP Morgan Chase and 40 other US banks conducting FedNow trial runs ahead of the instant payment services launch. So what is FedNow? FedNow is just that, an instant payment service uh, to go even in a transnational sense. Uh, one of the things I found uh, looking through the documentation from the Fed itself and other sources was it would also make more efficient the remittances that illegal immigrants included make when they come to this country, earn a little money, and they send money back home, let's say to Mexico or Guatemala. Those are known as remittances. It would even help with those, which some people might find a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. But this instant payment service uh, piggybacks on other existing such services. But the main point here for today's report is the media is doing a pretty all-out blitz to try and say, well, FedNow has nothing to do whatsoever with central bank digital currencies. And keep in mind that FedNow, this new instant payment transactional service, begins later this month. I believe it's July 23rd when they launch it. And this is the 110th year, just a footnote, of the creation of the Federal Reserve System itself, which is the central player, of course. Fed now is from the Fed. Anyway, we have um, <clears throat> in this next slide just a little bit of explanatory information. Uh, banking giant J.P. Morgan Chase and 40 other U.S. banks are um, uh, acting on the Federal Reserve's uh, payment plan, and they're getting really involved in this. According to a new Federal Reserve press release, uh, some 40 banks and uh, uh, over a dozen service providers are wrapping up FedNow trials, test trials, ahead of official launch of the service, which is scheduled for late July, like I mentioned. And uh, moving on from there, um, we can kind of cherry pick this. Uh, this is Ken Montgomery, first vice president of the Fed Bank of Boston. And he's a FedNow program executive. We're on track for the FedNow service launch with a strong cohort of financial institutions and service providers of all sizes in the process of completing the final round of readiness testing with go live nearing. Financial institutions and their industry partners should be confident in moving forward with, with plans, excuse me, to join the network of organizations participating in the FedNow service. According to the Federal Reserve, FedNow aims to enable businesses and individuals to send and receive instant payments anytime. There's a little more explanation. The Fed, Federal Reserve says it plans to increase the number of banks using FedNow this year and in years to come until all 10,000, I guess there are 10,000 banks, have adopted this technology. So this will take a little while to be comprehensive. Other large banks testing the service to start using it in July those using it right away are the Bank of New York Mellon, 
that's a pretty big player. U.S. Bank Corp. and, of course, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is in court all the time um, with customer abuse uh, charges and fraud charges. Uh, there's almost never a time that Wells Fargo is not in court, just a footnote. And here comes the Associated Press, the illustrious uh, wire service, uh, coming out proactively. And, and what I would say here is there's that old saying, thou protesteth too much. There's this almost um, off-the-page, um, unnecessarily aggressive effort by the press to shout down anyone that makes the slightest noise that FedNow and central bank digital currencies could have anything to do with one another at all. So here's Associated Press running ahead of the pack, claim they're doing their fact check here. The Federal Reserve is launching a digital currency app, FedNow, that will eliminate physical cash. Uh, AP's assessment, false. The Federal Reserve's FedNow is a service that allows banks and credit unions to transfer funds more quickly. I would say as if they're not quick enough. I would just add that. <clears throat> it's not a form of currency. No one ever said it was. Nor is it a move toward eliminating cash. Some have said that, some have not. The Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System stated. You'll notice that the Federal Reserve's word is gold to the Associated Press. And so the, the, the AP need have no other source than the Fed itself. They, they would rather question those who ask questions than look a little bit deeper like I'm doing today. So here's the Federal Reserve's own literature in this next slide. Is Fed now replacing cash? Is it a central bank digital currency? Um, when I wrote about it back in April, I said that it might juxtapose or pave the way for a central bank digital currency. I never said for instance, that it was one and the same thing. And very few people have said it's one and the same thing. So there's a little bit of a misnomer going on here. Um, so is it is it replacing cash? Is it a CB, uh, CBDC? No, says the Federal Reserve. FedNow is not related to a digital currency. FedNow is a payment service the Federal Reserve is making available for banks and credit unions to transfer funds. Credit unions used to be a lot different than banks, no more. That's been eliminated. Uh, it, like other Federal Reserve payment services, such as Fedwire and FedACH, the FedNow service is neither a form of currency nor a step toward eliminating any form of payment, including cash, they claim. Um, I'll, I'll move on in the interest of time a little bit. We'll move on to the next slide. Frequently asked questions. This is more that the Fed is putting out there. What is a central bank digital currency? A CBDC is a digital form of central bank money that is widely available to the general public. It goes on to explain, it says that it will not replace cash, it will supplement cash. This is what they're claiming. And we'll move on from there. Um, why is the Federal Reserve, now notice this next item. Why is the Federal Reserve considering a central bank digital currency now? So in the very next item on this Q&A, they come right out and say that they're considering a central bank digital currency now. So it's very interesting. It's funny how it changes gears here. It talks about the potential benefits of a central bank digital currency, which is mostly an efficiency argument. What are the risks, which are relatively few, and so on and so forth, moving forward from there. Now, it starts getting interesting. How can I learn more about central bank digital currencies or comment, et cetera? 
And the Fed says, well, you got to read money and payments, the U.S. dollar in the age of digital transformation. That's a good place to start. This paper concludes with a request for public comment, um, et cetera, et cetera. What are the Federal Reserve's ongoing technological initiatives related to central bank digital currencies? And it says the Federal Reserve is engaged in a number of experiments related to digital currencies, including a hypothetical central bank digital currency. These experiments enrich the Federal Reserve's policy discussions related to digital currency by giving experimenters hands-on experience with the technology's opportunities and limitations. See, so out of the other side of their mouth, even though Fed now is allegedly a separate thing, let's take their word for it right now, central bank digital currencies are moving forward. It mentions that... Um, uh, there's collaboration with the Bank for International Settlements, everybody's favorite friendly bank in Switzerland. And here's that actual document itself that the Fed refers to. Money and payments, the U.S. dollar in the age of digital transformation. So digging just a little bit deeper than the illustrious Associated Press, here it says, Introduction, the Federal Reserve is exploring the implications of and options for issuing a central bank digital currency. And then I underlined another part, a central bank digital currency would differ from existing digital money available to the general public because a such a currency would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, not of a commercial bank. So central bank digital currencies, the Federal Reserve would become your bank, not the, not the central bank of the commercial banks, but you'd cut out the commercial banks and deal directly with the Fed, which is a big move towards centralization in this 110th year of the Fed. And uh, uh, down here, you'll notice it says support faster and cheaper payments, including cross-border payments. I mentioned that it would help illegal aliens send money back home. Therefore, that could encourage potentially more illegal immigration. Now, it says the introduction of a central bank digital currency would represent a highly significant innovation in American money. Accordingly, broad consultation with the general public and, and key stakeholders is essential. And it says the Fed does not intend to proceed with the issuance of a central bank digital currency without clear support from the executive branch and from Congress, ideally in the form of a specific authorizing law. Other literature said uh, unequivocally they would need a specific authorizing law to do this currency. Now they're saying, well, ideally we would need an authorizing law. And here's the aha moment. Recent improvements to the U.S. payment system have focused on making payments faster, cheaper, more convenient, and more accessible. Instant payments have been a particular active field of public and private sector innovation, and so on and so forth. Um, and I believe I have one more slide. It says that the, the best way to do that is through FedNow. But when you look at the overall report, you'll see that in this report, central bank digital currencies are on pages 13 through 17, and uh, the payment system, pages 7 uh, and 8, are all in the same report. So basically, the Fed in this report that it's referring to is juxtaposing central bank digital currencies and Fed now. And so basically, those two things are on a parallel track. We're told that they're not directly connected, but they are on a parallel track. And they're juxtaposed together in that report. Yeah. In my opinion, Fed now will be the infrastructure that would enable central bank digital currencies to have uh, 
the proper uh, conduit, if you will. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this. But if you look a little deeper, the Associated Press's claims don't ring totally true. Okay. Thank you for that, Mark. Okay, we'll move on then uh, back to the UK. And uh, well, the Bank of England uh, last week published this uh, money and credit for May 2023, the money and credit report. Uh, and there was one, uh, something particularly interesting in this that I thought, and that was, uh, was this, let's take a quote, during May, households on net withdrew £4.6 billion from banks and building societies, which marked the highest level of household withdrawals on record uh, for this monthly series starting in October 1997. Within the household deposits measure, net withdrawals of interest-bearing site deposits increased significantly from 5.4 billion in April to 11.4 billion in May. Non-interest-bearing site deposits marked the seventh consecutive month month of net withdrawals uh, at 3.3 billion this month. Um, So this is uh, quite a a staggering statement because, of course, people are beginning to suffer more and more under this so-called cost of living crisis, which uh, I believe is largely engineered. It's engineered by uh, not only the energy companies who are not passing uh, redu- price reductions on to people whenever the uh, wholesale price of energy comes down. Uh, same with the supermarkets with food prices. They're taking advantage of this claim of inflation to increase prices. Uh, we're seeing that uh, with uh, savings accounts as well, where we're seeing as soon as the bank base rate goes up, uh, mortgage uh, Pay, uh, interest rates go up immediately, but saving uh, interest rates don't go up uh, anywhere near as quickly. Uh, but anyway, uh, this was the comment from uh, Richard Lane from Step Change, uh, saying this is the latest in a long line of warnings that more and more people are struggling to cope with the cost of living. Cost pressures are everywhere uh, and eroding people's financial headroom, leaving them more vulnerable to harmful borrowing and problem debt. Now, and a slightly uh, related issue then, uh, if we look at energy prices, There's some quite interesting stuff going on in the energy market at the moment. I just want to highlight this. First of all, this is the stock market price for Siemens Energy, AG. Uh, And as you can see, last Thursday, uh, it collapsed. It went from, what is that, about 23 uh, down to 15 in a a day or so. And why did that happen? Well, this is because Siemens Energy and their subsidiary, Siemens uh, Gamesa, uh, they announced that they were having trouble with their wind turbines, uh, and uh, this is sort of an example of the type of trouble that they've been having, uh, because they're saying that uh, substantial, they're seeing a substantial increase in failure rates uh, of wind turbine uh, components. This was after they did a third, what they described as a thorough review of their operations. So, you know, uh, this organization, uh, Wind Systems, uh, wrote about this recently uh, on the 15th of July, 2021. Uh, talking about turbines and fire risk, and they're saying that tens of thousands of wind turbines are expected to be installed over the next few years. Uh, and with this uh, boost in numbers comes both an increase in expected frequency and a greater public scrutiny over wind turbine fires. And the problem is, of course, you can't just stick somebody up the pole. Uh, you've got to uh, basically allow it to burn itself out. Uh, so this is costing, these wind turbine fires are costing Siemens, I think it's something in the region of 8 million pounds per turbine that goes, and they're seeing them go at a rate of something around the one in 2,000 turbines uh, rate. But the number of wind turbines and solar panels that are being installed at the moment uh, has resulted in some interesting things going on in the uh, markets. So let's uh, bring this graph on screen. Uh, and uh, well, this shows uh, the uh, cost of energy per kil- price per unit, which is basically per kilowatt hour, that happened yesterday. So this was the second, second of uh, 
July 2023. This has come from energystats.uk. Uh, and we can see that between 8 a.m. and uh, what's that, about uh, 4 p.m. yesterday, energy was in negative territory. So at the peak there, it was minus 19 pence per kilowatt hour. Uh, but that went on for, for the, the entire day, basically because uh, turbines were on, uh, solar panels were working in the UK, uh, but nobody wanted the energy. And of course, uh, that resulted in the price collapsing. David, in 30 seconds, uh, what do you think uh, are the implications of this? Well, it does, it does suggest that the energy market is going to be in some turmoil for some time, that uh, we have a mix of power generation that does not actually meet demand. It doesn't have the flexibility. It doesn't have the uh, off and on ability, I seem to remember that phrase coming from our old SSEB uh, advert, um, advertising their controllable power. We don't have controllable power on a national level uh, quite as much as we used to. This is causing problems. It is indeed. And of course, if problems in the energy prices combined with promise, problems with uh, turbine, uh, uh, the turbines going on fire, this, of course, is uh, potentially profit related problems for the companies. Okay, let's move on. If you like uh, what the UK column does, you'd like to support us, please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. You can pick something up at the UK column shop, uh, but please do share material you find on the various platforms, especially ukcolumn.org and ukcolumnextracts.co.uk. Uh, now, Debbie wants us to let everybody know that the next MHRA uh, board meeting is taking place next Tuesday, the 11th. Uh, and uh, well, if you want to get tickets for that, you need to head over to Eventbrite uh, and you can get access uh, to that uh, Zoom um, board meeting. Uh, she wanted me to particularly highlight that uh, at the bottom there, please note the deadline for pre-submitted questions is 9 a.m. Tuesday, the 4th of July, 2023. So if you are going to attend that and you do want to submit a question, you need to get that in pretty much by the end of today. Uh, a quick uh, hi highlight of a couple of uh, videos on the UK Column website. First of all, Simon Elmer, The Road to Fascism, Fascism Part 2. Uh, that's available on the UK Column website. And also uh, an interview that David did uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Lily Tang-Williams, all about growing up under Chairman Mao. Uh, and finally, I uh, want to highlight this one. Uh, this is uh, Debbie, again, speaking to Roy Lilly and Duncan White uh, about the NHS. Uh, a crown jewel, a jewel in our crown or a thorn in our side. Uh, so keep an eye out for that one as well. Uh, okay, where does that take us? Digital ID, David. Yes, yeah, so here we have a very interesting document. This is a residence permit, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's telling a, a legal immigrant who's applied for uh, indefinite leave to remain in the UK that they do indeed have indefinite leave to, to remain. And it says valid until the 31st of the 12th, 2024, which is a bit unusual for an indefinite leave to remain. Um, the explanatory note that came with this um, said that this was because as of the 1st of January 2025, uh, ID would be digital. So this uh, card would no longer be valid. Now, this is quite right. We have here uh, Migrant Co., uh, a legal firm, uh, telling their clients about this. So they're talking about biometric residence permits. Uh, they all have an expiry date of 31st December 2024. Uh, and the reason for that is um, after that, we're going to have digital ID. You're going to be identifying yourself online. Um, now, this has obviously created some concern 
and there was a, a consultation about the whole process that the government engaged in, and they got a lot of negative comments. So that obviously hasn't made them change their minds about the process. The process is going along exactly as it was before the consultation. Uh, but they've decided to ask to answer what they've termed frequently asked questions. Uh, this is the same as uh, 9-11 FAQs. So all the, all the things that the, the, the public kept answer, asking, they've decided to call FAQs and, ask, and answer them in one place. Mike, we'll see what you make of these answers. Claim. Um, using UK.gov one login will be mandatory. Um, fact, no. Having a UK.gov.uk uh, a one login account will not be mandatory for UK citizens. Did you notice the uh, restriction on that answer? Um, presumably for non-UK citizens, it will be. Claim, the proposed legislation will make it easier for the government to implement a social credit system. Fact, the proposed legislation is about enabling the required data sharing to ensure faster, more accessible route to accessing government services. There are no plans to implement a social credit system. That actually doesn't answer the question. Right? You could still, that could still be true, and it could still make it easier for the government to implement it. So that's an odd one that just doesn't answer the question. Claim, this will enable bulk data sharing across government. Fact, the proposed legislation will not enable bulk data sharing. Uh, it will only enable data sharing between specified organisations for the purpose of identity verification. The specified organisations with public sector bodies. That sounds like bulk data sharing to me, but there we go. That's maybe just me. I'm not convinced. Mike, are you? Uh, no, and as we've uh, said a couple of times now, of course, <laughs> this idea that, uh, it, okay, the leg this particular legislation will not enable bulk data sharing, but that's okay because they've got other legislation which does enable bulk data sharing. So you, we've got to always remember to take the legislation that the government is talking about in the round, not... Uh, specific one individual specific piece of legislation we've got to understand what they're doing right across the legislative uh process um and uh, the other thing is you know they're constantly saying uh, don't worry digital id is not mandatory because we're going to provide telephone services and other services for people that don't want to use digital id this of course is nonsense because already as we've already mentioned uh, people having to wait in queues in order to get access to HMRC, for example, on the telephone, as it is. Uh, the, the, the government simply makes that situation by defunding that aspect of it, by reducing the number of staff on the telephones. They can force people into digital ID uh, by making the process of going through the telephone so utterly uh, abhorrent to people that they have no choice. And this, David, as we talked about before the program, this is the same in the, in the airports at the moment. Yes, I mean, if you're in the airports and you decide not to go through the scanner, it's no problem. Would you please stand over here for 20 minutes and we'll see if we can find someone to pat you down? It's made very awkward to not comply. And, and I think it is significant that non-UK citizens will, will be coerced. It will be mandatory that they'll have digital ID, um, a, a government digital, digital ID system. And that's a step towards that for citizens as well. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be argued well with a... We've, we've, we've run this out for non-UK citizens. We're just tidying up the system. You know how these things run. Each, each incremental um, removal of our rights is used as an excuse for the next incremental removal of our rights. Yes. Um, okay, thanks, David. Now, uh, the hashtag on Twitter this morning uh, was, uh, sorry, we'll just come back to that, was 
uh, France is burning. Um, I'm not. Let me just see if I can get this to play. There we go. Uh, so there, there is a little bit of video of some of the burning that's going on in France. Some of the mainstream media today saying uh, that the uh, that France appears to be calming down after the five days of uh, violent protests. Uh, they're saying that don't worry, there were only 150 people arrested yesterday as opposed to 700 the previous night. Um, now this has started getting quite unpleasant uh, for some local officials, uh, with at least one mayor. Uh, finding that his home was uh, effectively uh, being uh, at least an attempt to burn it down. Um, so uh, this particular mayor, Vincent, Vincent uh, Jean Brun, uh, he wasn't his home, at home at the time. His wife suffered a broken leg. Uh, his uh, young child was also hurt. Uh, but he uh, is tweeting out thanks today for some of the support that he got following that. Uh, but it becomes even more interesting because uh, as these riots have continued, uh, other uh, organizations or other people seem to be getting involved. Um, so let's just have a look at this little bit of video uh, and see what you think about it. So David, this is being uh, presented as, as uh, far right uh, starting to come out on the streets as well. And it, it it does look to me like that France is an absolute tinderbox at the moment, but it also looks to me like this is becoming, it, it is absolutely a manipulated uh, event uh, and people are, are having their emotions uh, driven in a sense uh, to get them out on the streets. It's looking like a very dangerous situation building in France at the moment. Oh, indeed. And uh, as in America, we, we don't know who those people are. They appear to be the far right, but are they in fact instigators? Is it, is it genuine grassroots? Is it, is it some sort of fake grassroots? There is uh, so much violence about in France that, uh, that some sort of backlash wouldn't be unexpected. And I think a tinderbox is exactly the right description. Yes. Uh, now, let's just uh, bring this on screen, because in response to what's going on, the French government has decided to shut down the Internet uh, in uh, a limited way at this point. But uh, this was the uh, press release that they pushed out. Let's just uh, get a quick translation of this. It says the Ministry of the Interior would like to inform the population of the exceptional measures put in place to ensure security in the context of the recent riots. Uh, from the 3rd of July and for a fixed period, temporary restrictions will be applied on internet access in certain specific neighborhoods during night hours. These restrictions aim to prevent the misuse of social media and online platforms to coordinate illegal actions uh, and incite violence. So they're claiming that uh, uh, social media being used to uh, court for coordination purposes are going to shut it down. Uh, this uh, itself, I think, is a pretty dangerous precedent. But of course, France not the only country that's having problems in Lebanon, for example, uh, people claiming that they can't get their money out of the bank, so they're starting to, to uh, uh, attack uh, banks uh, once again. Uh, but the situation in Israel has uh, re raised its ugly head again. And uh, so uh, Israel has launched its uh, first ground-based, well, what's being described as a ground-based offensive against the West Bank in a couple of decades. Uh, so this is Janine. Uh, seven people have been killed. Uh, seven Palestinians have been killed. Uh, one is really... A uh, soldier has been wounded. That was uh, the, the latest numbers that I saw. Uh, so in the early hours of yesterday, um, 
Israeli forces uh, made, un well, they were using drones uh, to attack this as well as uh, getting boots on the ground, as it were. Um, and uh, so that's been going on. Now, what's been going on in the background is that uh, there have been some pretty insightful comments uh, from Netanyahu. So this was the Jerusalem Post saying that Palestinians furious over Netanyahu claims that Israel must crush statehood ambitions. Uh, so basically, he was uh, saying, you know, that the Palestinians just need to uh, forget about uh, any ideas of statehood. In fact, those ideas sh must be eliminated, was the phrase that, uh, that Netanyahu said. Uh, and uh, so that was... Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, David, but uh, the the Palestinians claiming, of course, that uh, settlers continue to attack, uh, uh, but they're getting no protection from the Israeli state. They want a, a state of their own, as they would. Uh, they're now calling for, in fact, international troops on the ground to try to keep the peace. It's hardly surprising that they're taking that kind of step. Not surprising at all. I mean, the, the situation is the, the, the was, uh, there was a, a terrorist attack that killed several Israeli civilians. Uh, the, response with, from the, and the response to this was uh, settlers to go into some Palestinian towns and randomly uh, torch houses, uh, assault and, and kill people. Um, so the, the, the Palestinians are saying, are, are saying well, we are being subject to, to settler violence, and they absolutely are. Um, the role of the IDF is extremely ambiguous here. Um, the, the, it, it ranges from actually being a restraining hand on the settlers and the settlers complaining bitterly about this to, as you see, uh, being a, a, a force that goes in and, ass and assaults what they see as, as terrorist organisations with, within towns like Janine. Um, so this means, how do, how do you actually get protection for your uh, people under those circumstances because the people are being attacked randomly as reprisals perhaps, but there's nothing to do with the people who are being attacked. And if you defend against that, then that means you are militarised and does that make you a target for the IDF? It's, a, it's an outrageous position. Now, no, no country in the right mind is going to send peacekeepers into that, incidentally. Uh, and neither is the uh, is Israeli government going to permit any sort of peacekeeping force to go in there. But as, in terms of Netanyahu's comment, this is saying it quite a bit out loud. The whole idea, the whole, the whole policy for years has been to hold out Palestinian statehood as a means of deflecting international criticism. If there's no possibility of a Palestinian state, then the Palestinians under control of the Israeli state must be given away to full civil rights. There's no other explanation, there's no other way forward. And of course, that's not what Netanyahu or the uh, right wing, and I suspect the majority of the Jewish population in Israel actually want. This is a very strange position by Netanyahu. He seems to have thrown caution to the winds here. Well, okay. Thank you for that. Okay, let's move on then, David, to the World Economic Forum. And well, we've got some good news because there has been a an annual meeting of new champions. Is this happening today? I oh, know this happened uh, uh, no, this at the end of last week. It was, it, was, it was the tail end of last week, but good news, yes, the new champions are here. This is an annual meeting um, of 1,500 uh, business leaders and leaders from civil society, international organizations, and academia. It's known as the Summer Davos. Sounds lovely. Um, we have a clip. 
as we know, there's an increasing impact of human activities on our Earth systems, which is causing all sorts of irreversible harm, and hopefully some reversible harm. Um, and our shared resources on which we depend are becoming increasingly in jeopardy. Um, this covers our air to our soils, water, and broader climate, and threatens both our health and livelihood as well as that of the wider uh, ecosystems that we're a part of. Now, we are, broadly speaking, agreed that we need to get on track towards a, a net zero, climate safe, and nature positive future, but we know this will not be easy. Um, and we're going to need to change behaviors of both individuals, but also the way that our industries and corporations and also our governments work and practice. We're going to need to do this through a mixture of carrots and hopefully uh, perhaps not so many sticks um, and, and some kind of mix. And there's a very active and live debate as to how we go about this. Um, but we're likely to see an increasing move towards a more stick-like interventions into the future as things worsen if we're not able to act. Um, and it's important to note that as well as worrying about our uh, systems, uh, our planetary systems today, we need to worry about those of the future and think about the, the generations to come. So what we're going to try to do is have a discussion from various uh, stakeholder perspectives here about how we think through some of these different carrots and sticks. And I'm very pleased to say that I am joined today by, uh, to my left here, uh, Ma Jun, the director for the Institute for Public and Environmental Affairs, by Niklas Gustafsson, the chief sustainability officer and head for corporate affairs in the Volvo Group, um, by Jamila Mahmoud, the Executive Director for the Sunway Center for Planetary Health, Sunway University in Malaysia, uh, and uh, Mwaka Mukubesa, the Permanent Secretary for Budget and Economic Affairs in Zambia. And we hope to be joined very soon by Jonas Leonis, the Undersecretary for Policy, Planning and International Affairs at the Department of Environment and Natural Resources of the Philippines, who is currently on his way very rapidly from the airport, I'm told. So let me just clarify this, David. Uh, what we're looking at here is a group of people who are not discussing whether their, the, their desired outcome is, is correct or not. They're simply discussing whether they're going to use carrots or sticks to get there. Yes. So the first, the first line was, as we know, right? No, we don't, right? So this is him selling a lie because the belief is, as we know, everyone agrees with this. It's nonsense. Right? He then talks about our Earth system. So I like the possessive pronoun there. This is very interesting. He then goes, the problem is air, soil, water, and climate actually gets fourth billing. They are struggling on the climate change agenda. They really, that's not working. Um, and then we say, then he says, we're broadly in agreement over net zero target. Well, that means they're not in agreement, right? And that's, that's an admission there that there's problems. And then we go into this. Did, did you like the way when he said carrot or hopefully, he was going to say hopefully sticks and then he could have changed at the last moment to try and pretend not to be happy with the sticks. And then, then, then basically uh, admitted, yeah, it's going to be more sticks. Basically, uh, the, until morale improves, the beatings will continue seems to be the takeaway. And um, I, I love that the last guy wasn't there because he was still in the big silver bird coming, in, coming into the airport. Um, you know, emitting lots of CO2 as he did so I thought that was quite funny uh, and a final comment on that 
the Sunway Center for Planetary Health. We can't even manage to uh, cope with a small uh, f outbreak of flu-like symptoms, let alone planetary health. Um, I thought that was an illustration of how um, incoherent the whole position is. And then all these people then talked about how they were going to force people into change. And there was no, there was no discussion. No discussion is permitted about whether the agenda's right or not or what, what the downsides are. It was all about how we actually get to this agreed goal. Um, I thought I'd have a quick look at some of the people organising this. There's a lot of co-chairs. I picked three at random. Here they are. Um, and and what, a, what a trio, right? So we have uh, Merav uh, Oren, right, who said about herself, who says this? this is, I've, I've seen some corporate BS in my life, but this is, this is high quality stuff. As a non-conformist and known overachiever, I have always had a passion for challenging the status quo in order to improve the lives of others. Goodness sake. The second one, uh, oh, she, that, and that was from someone who worked for nine years for Intel in Israel. That's her, that's her background. Um, uh, that's the sort of arrogance you get from nine years working for Intel in Israel. Then we've got uh, Kai Kari Chan, right? Uh, she, her main line of business seems to be real estate, but her the light, the reason she's there is she's the founder of Avant Meats, right? A, a cultivated meat technology company in China. They make non-fish fish. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Soylent Green, but that's unfair. Um, and then the third guy that I picked at random, Jeremy uh, Allaire, is a genuine tech um, uh, innovator, has been in, in the... Um, the the, the uh, internet and tech fields for for decades now. Uh, he's currently involved in a in a well. He's saying the the world has evolved now. Money has too. He's got a new form of digital currency exchange system. So there we go. I thought that was quite a good summary of the sort of people who go to the summer Davos. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, David. Uh, okay. Let's uh, let's move on then uh, to. Uh, Ukraine a little bit, and uh, sorry, can... right, thanks. Uh, so uh, Poland has now applied to join NATO's uh, nuclear sharing program. This should make everybody feel extremely safe and secure in their own beds, uh, because Poland wants to join NATO's nuclear sharing program. Why is this? Well, of course, this is because the Russians put uh, nuclear weapons into Belarus. Uh, and I can tell you that people on the eastern border uh, with uh, between Poland and Belarus at the moment are extremely fearful because they're being pumped full of uh, media narratives about how dangerous Belarus is, that they can expect the Belarusian uh, state uh, to, to send their army over the border at any moment. Uh, and so this is uh, of great concern for them. So the Polish government now uh, wanting to join those nuclear sharing program, get nuclear weapons on the Polish ground. What was the Russians' position on this? Well, here's Dmitry Medvedev. He's saying that the only danger arising from the re request to deploy nuclear weapons in Poland is that such weapons will be used? Well, uh, that is certainly the danger. Um, and uh, I think if there's one government on this planet that is just daft enough to even think about it, it is the Polish government uh, because they are extremely, uh, extremely anti-Russian at the moment. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, the, the, the narrative builds up uh, both in Poland and in Ukraine because uh, now that uh, the coup that wasn't a coup has happened, uh, and uh, it looks like that certainly the West is claiming that 
Belarus is building an army camp for Wagner fighters. So they're claiming that Wagner is re-deploying uh, uh, to, uh, to Belarus at the moment. So uh, that is causing uh, Zelensky to have some very serious concerns. He is saying now that he's going to bolster the Ukraine-Belarus border. Um, so where does this leave the counteroffensive? It leaves it stalled and probably stalled for quite some time as he tries to think about how he's going to redeploy to try to, try to protect the border in the north. Uh, and finally, I just wanted to mention again, if you remember on Friday, we were talking about uh, the claims uh, that Russia is about to attack itself by attacking the uh, Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. This coming from the new voice of Ukraine. Well, we've got a new article on Yahoo News, uh, this time from uh, Ukrainska Pravda, uh, saying Russian forces begin to flee Zaporozhye nuclear power plant according to the to, sorry, to Ukrainian defense intelligence. Uh, so there, uh, the claim is that the Russians are now moving people away from uh, the nuclear power plant in order to uh, uh, blow it up or cause some kind of nuclear incident that, of course, the West is claiming would be a, a Russian false flag. Uh, the Russians, of course, saying they're going to do nothing of the kind. Um, however, uh, some people commenting that uh, residents in the 50-kilometer zone around Zaporozhye have been given iodine uh, medications by the uh, Ministry of Health of Ukraine. Um, and so uh, this is, again, more narrative that the Russians are about to pull some kind of gag. Uh, but uh, the IAEA have made a statement uh, on the 30th of June on this, on the situation in Ukraine. And I just wanted to highlight one quote from this. Uh, as previously indicated, they say the IAEA is aware of reports that mines and other explosives have been placed in and around Zaporozhye nuclear power plant including mines near the cooling pond. Uh, we take such, this is a quote now from uh, the Director General, we take such reports very seriously and I've instructed our exports on the site to look into this matter and quest the access they need for doing their job. Until now, they have not observed any mines or other explosives. Further access will still be needed, but it's clear that uh, they have not find, found any mines or explosives in and around the actual uh, power plant. But what they have said is, uh, that once you get a little bit further away from the nuclear power plant itself, uh, there are there have been some mines placed. Nonetheless, this narrative keeps building uh, that the Russians are going to, to cause some kind of uh, uh, nuclear incident at the power plant. Um, I don't think anybody would be surprised to say we are highly skeptical uh, that the Russians would be wanting to attack themselves in this way. Anyway, David, let's uh, move on to uh, Scotland. And uh, we've got a little bit of video of Fergus Ewing. Yeah, we showed this before. I think it was on Extra a few weeks ago. So this was Fergus Ewing talking about some legislation um, to provide um, marine exclusion zones for the preservation of uh, the marine environment with huge restrictions on, well, everything really and explaining what he thought about it with respect to the fishermen and with respect to the quality of the legislation itself. I've had the privilege of serving as the MSP for Lochaber for eight years, now in, in Cape Forbes, capable hands, and I got to know the fishermen in Malig and in Arasig, and I got to understand and appreciate what they do. Producing food on our table, hardworking, great characters, many of them very God-fearing as well, uh, and making a huge contribution to Scotland. And over the years, it's the fishing community that have gone on to form the backbone of the Merchant Navy. 
and then in the 70s or 80s, working offshore in our oil and gas industry because they were already familiar with the perils of working in the cruel sea indeed. They did then and still do now put their lives at risk for us. They deserve our respect. They deserve our thanks. But what have they got in this document? The only mention of fishermen is that what they do is destructive. What an incredible act of provocation that is. And then following on from that, uh, Mr Ewing showed everyone what he thought of the, of the proposed legislation. In conclusion, presiding officer, with regard to this document, I've got three suggestions to make about what to do with it. First of all, put it in the burgeoning policy recycling unit, along with the advertising ban and deposit return. Secondly, if you prefer, use it as a fire lighter. Uh, but thirdly, what I think, uh, and in doing this, I think I'm summing up the views of the people I've worked for and value and cherish for nearly 50 years. This is what to do with it, presiding officer. This is what to do with it. I do it now. That is what the people of Scotland, who have great affection for our fishermen, want to happen. So that was quite straightforward. And this shows you what happens if you've got a long-serving MP, MSP in this case, who actually knows the community and is humble enough to listen and to get to know people and to appreciate what they do rather than tell them what to do. Um, this worked, right? So we like to, when people say, you don't have any good news stories. Well, he stood up, uh, Fergus Ewan stood up, he said his piece, there was many other people who stood with him and objected to this um, proposed piece of legislation. And um, the highly protected marine areas um, proposal has been scrapped. Here we see uh, Manny McCallum um, standing up and saying it's being, it's not been taken forward, the whole idea has been dropped, we'll, we'll think again, uh, which is exactly the right decision. And uh, Fish Farming Expert reports on this. Um, she say, uh, reports on Manny McCallum saying, I will outline more on our next step after the summer recess, so it's part for the moment, but I hope it is clear that I'm determined to protect our oceans in a way that is fair, there's that word, no one knows what it means, and to find a way forward that ensures our seas remain a source of prosperity for the nation, especially in remote coastal and island communities. That is a huge reversal of the uh, dominant green um, eco-agenda and uh, a big win for the fishing communities and a big win for sense. And uh, there have been few enough of those in the Scottish Parliament. Um, I would just like to finish this little section on Scotland and applaud the Hollywood magazine uh, uh, picture editor. This is an epic um, uh, magazine cover. So Hollywood magazine, it's a magazine of the parliament, very straight-faced, it's very even-handed in how it handles things. And it's uh, reporting here, running out of road on the journey to independence. And that's a camper van parked on the edge of the cliff. And whoever came up with that, you are a beautiful human being, and I thank you. Yeah, so whose camper van is it? Well, it's the SNP camper van. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thanks, David. Uh, okay, Mark. Let's uh, end then with uh, with this. Uh, and uh, we've got the Hill here and Supreme Court set to take centre stage in battle for the Senate. 
Yes, the mass media syndicate is going full till to uh, promulgate the idea that everything the Supreme Court's done is retrograde, regressive, lowbrow, knuckle-dragging nonsense, uh, as if conservatism itself is some sort of plague. Um, and of course, everything that the liberal set has done is, is portrayed as unblemished, pure as the driven snow, progressivism, what could possibly be wrong? So what the press is pushing here is the idea that the ruling by the Supreme Court on affirmative action, which they got rid of for college admissions, the ruling, we're at the one-year anniversary of overturning Roe v. Wade, um, the ruling to um, not allow student debt to be set aside, but to resume payments on student debt, which is a controversial decision from both sides of the aisle, granted on that one. And there, were, there was also a ruling very recently that a web designer could, according to the court, um, not would not be required, that is, to do web designs for uh, same-sex couples due to the web designer's uh, religious beliefs, which is a First Amendment matter and a First Amendment protection that the web designer is logically and constitutionally entitled to. So what the press is pushing is now due to these um, retrograde, terrible decisions that the court has made, a lot of bellwether decisions in a relatively small period of time. Well, this is the way for now voters to can be voters can be energized to go out and vote on the basis of these court decisions, get rid of Republicans in the U.S. Senate, get more Democrats in the Senate. Therefore, uh, over time, they can get rid of Clarence Thomas. He's getting older. He's one of the six conservative Supreme Court justices. And they can begin to shift the court back to the liberal court that gave us Roe v. Wade in the first place 50 years ago this year. So that's that's basically it. Here's the Hill, a Washington, D.C. rag that's saying Democrats were already fired up because of Roe v. Wade, said Democratic pollster uh, Celinda Lake, I believe her name is. It will mobilize Democrats, particularly Democratic younger women who are already turning out and registering to vote in record numbers uh, going on. This is a pattern which just shows a Supreme Court that's out of control. Um, uh, and so on and so forth, and that they're taking away the freedoms and moving the country backwards. And Democrats are very strongly engaged and women are very strongly engaged to get out the vote. So this is the narrative being pushed by the uh, bought press, the kept press, as they're sometimes called. And uh, it's also interesting to note, this isn't in the um, slides, that on two separate occasions on the reporter's trail in Las Vegas, um, and in Washington, D.C., I met a group called Democrats for Life. There is a lesser known, if not virtually unknown, um, group called Democrats for Life that don't believe in the wholesale abortion for any reason industry, the, the killing industry that is the abortion corporation Planned Parenthood, the main provider of abortions in the United States. So um, these, are the th these are the things you never hear. So the press is going to go on portraying all women assuming they all support abortion, it, much in the way in South Texas, the press talks about Hispanics as if they all believe in open borders when that's not true at all. So this is a major stereotyping thing going on, major propaganda to use these decisions by the court and act as if they're terrible, they're all terrible, and now's the chance to turn the, the U.S. Senate blue, uh, or yeah, turn it blue, get the Democrats in, get the Republican majority, a very thin majority out, and get the court back to the liberal court that they wanted, 
um, and have always wanted, uh, which was basically uh, when Ruth, G Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive and quite a bit before that. Here in this last slide that's uh, up for uh, up on deck, we'll, we'll kind of conclude with this. Steve Jarding, a Democratic strategist who previously served as an advisor in the Democratic Senatorial Campaign, Campaign Committee, said the court's recent decisions are changing decades of precedent, impacting millions of Americans. He said if Democrats use it right, use it correctly as an issue, they can move board voters to support Senate Democrats in key races. So this is the major paradigm shift they think can happen. And this, this is the uh, uh, major quote here. This is the court that Republicans wanted, that Republicans gave America, and now they're dismantling the social fabric of the country. And of course, they go on to say that um, abortion is a constitutional right that the court got rid of a year ago. It cannot be emphasized more. When Justice Samuel Alito, a year ago, wrote for the majority, he did a very thorough investigation of abortion in America its historical precedence, its legal precedence. There is no constitutional right for an abortion. There never has been. It cannot be stressed too much. It was a medical choice made available through legal legitimate, through through a lot of um, uh, you know uh, misleading and misguided concepts and decisions. But there has never been what you would actually call accurately a constitutional right for abortion and everything the press is pushing on that issue is based on that false notion and that's not an opinion okay and so this is the major propaganda push and political push happening right now and a, a lot hangs in the balance if the senate were to go the other way that's for sure constitutionally but many people on the other hand are are quite happy about the supreme court's decisions Affirmative action, really, many believe, and I think accurately so, is racism in action. And if you take away that, you, you become colorblind in admissions policies at colleges, for example, and then people are judged on their merit, on their skills, on, on what they know, on what they have to offer, irrespective of their color. To me, that's the absence of racism. If you yeah. put affirmative action in there, many believe it's racism in action under the guise of eliminating racism. So. A very dynamic thing happening right now. Lots of press propaganda, but something worth pointing out at this point in time. Okay, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, and that brings us to the end for today. I'm going to say thank you very much to Mark and to David for joining me today. Uh, now, we have to say we're not able to bring an, bring an extra today. Uh, we have something else that we've got to do this afternoon. Um, so we will be back, uh, well, one o'clock tomorrow for uh, the interview that we talked about in the ad break. Uh, but we'll be back at 1 p.m. for the news program, as usual, on Wednesday. Uh, so thanks to everybody for joining us today. We will see you then. Bye-bye.